Aloha, this is Pastor Perry, and I want to thank you for joining us to study the Word of God together. We pray that you will be blessed as the Holy Spirit ministers to you through this message and through God's Word. Today's reading is from the 24th chapter of Luke, verses 1 through 11. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they were entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothes. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He's not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words, and they returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles, but these words appeared to them as nonsense and they would not believe them. Tom, thanks for doing our reading today. Would you pray with me as we prepare our hearts for the message? Lord Jesus, we thank you that the words that sounded like nonsense to others are absolutely true. We thank you, Lord, that indeed you have defeated death, that you have shown us that you have forgiven us of our sins, that you have provided for us eternal life. And Lord, we celebrate that today. And we celebrate it every day, but today we celebrate in a very special way. Thank you for what you've done for us, Lord. We pray that we would be challenged afresh as we consider what you've done. For any who are hearing this message and have not yet responded to it in a way that would bring them salvation, we pray that today would be that day, that hearts would be opened, that eyes would see the Christ, that lives would be changed for eternity. With humility, I ask that you'd use me now through the power of the Holy Spirit to bless us and to teach us. And we ask this through Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I can't help but wonder what Jesus was thinking when he first came out of the tomb. He stepped out of a dark, dank, lonely tomb, out into the fresh air, a glorious new body, a glorious new day, that first Easter Sunday morning. Jesus had completely and irrevocably defeated death. He had obliterated sin's hold on the human race. He had vanquished mankind's greatest enemy. He had bested the devil. Jesus had become the answer for mankind's fall from grace. Jesus had become the payment for every one of your sins and every one of my sins. He paid the penalty for Peter's three denials, for John's desertion in the Garden of Gethsemane. He paid the penalty for the blasphemies spoken about him by his very own half-brothers. 
Jesus had paid for every sin ever committed by everyone in this room, by everyone watching us online, by everyone around the world. No one excluded. Jesus had paid the penalty for everyone's sins. Now, Jesus had specifically told his disciples, including his very own mother, what was going to happen before it happened. He had told them that he would be arrested, they'd be crucified, but he'd conquer death and he would rise from the dead. In Mark chapter 9, verse 31, it says this, Mark 9, 31, Jesus was teaching his disciples and telling them, the Son of Man is to be delivered up into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise again three days later. He was very clear. He was very specific. But Jesus not only told his friends that he was going to die and rise again three days later, Jesus also told his enemies that he would do it. In Matthew chapter 22, uh, excuse me, Matthew 27, verse 62. Matthew 27, verse 62, it says, Now on the next day, which is the one after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate and said, Sir, we remember that when he was still alive, that deceiver, referring to Jesus, said, After three days I am to rise again. Jesus had literally told his friends, his family, and even his enemies that he wouldn't stay dead, that he would rise again three days later. He told the Gentiles. He told the Jews. He told the closest people to him. He told the people who were against him. So when Jesus stepped out of that tomb on the first Easter Sunday morning, perhaps squinting in his glorified body because of the sunlight, I can't help but wonder what Jesus was thinking when he looked around and maybe said to himself, hey, where is everybody? I read about two cousins, 20-year-old Brian Cavallo and 21-year-old Joseph Cruz, who waited 15 days outside an Apple store to be the first to get the new Apple phone. 15 days waiting for a phone. And yet, not one person not one was waiting for Jesus to come out of the tomb. I find this astonishing. No one waited for the resurrected Jesus. No one was waiting to celebrate Easter. No one was waiting to celebrate the greatest event of all human history. For the event that defines and reorients and redeems human history and determines the eternal destiny of every single person. No one was waiting for that climactic defeat of death and the presentation of the victor. No one showed up. Not one person. You go, wait, wait, wait. Weren't there a handful of guards out there? Well, yeah, they were out there to make sure that there was no body snatching going on. That further proves my point. The guards weren't there to witness a resurrection. The guards were there to prevent a grave robbery. They weren't waiting for Jesus. They were looking for Jesus' followers 
to commit a felony and steal the body. No one was there. In 1943, two years after the bombing of Pearl Harbor by the Japanese, coast artillery observation stations were built on Lanikai Point, not too far from here. And they didn't have any armaments in them, but they were observation points, and they were there to watch and track any enemy ships that might be out there. And though we call them pillboxes, I'm told technically they're not pillboxes because they didn't have armaments. And I don't know if you've ever gone up to Lanikai pillboxes to see the sunrise. I did that for many years. I'd run up there and be one of the few people up there and watch the sunrise and run back down. And then this thing came out called social media. And all of a sudden, everybody found out about the Lanikai pillboxes. And all of a sudden, they have to put up signs. No limousines. Really. No taxis. No segways. I couldn't even park my bicycle anymore and chain it to the fence. The last time I was up there had been some time ago. I'm running up there and not 20 people, not 30 people. There were at least 50 to 60 people because there was some type of Navy reenlistment ceremony going on at sunrise up at the pillboxes. And I'm trying to run the pillboxes and set my record running. And all these people are annoying me because they are in my way. What are they doing up there? This is where I go to be alone with God, not to be with annoying people. Now, my point of this isn't to tell you that people annoy me. <laughs> it's that more people go up to the Lanikai pillboxes on a daily basis to watch the sunrise than people were there on the first Easter to watch the S-O-N sun rise. That's astounding, especially since Jesus said it was going to happen. Now, you might argue, well, the disciples wanted to be there, but, you know, there's that Sabbath technicality thing. You know, they didn't want to work on the Sabbath. I'm not sure sitting in front of a cave would be considered work. That doesn't seem that hard. Jesus was doing all the work. And besides, if Jesus could raise himself from the dead on the Sabbath, certainly you could watch him do that on the Sabbath. I, I don't think that's why they weren't there. Jesus said, the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath, it could be argued that the disciples weren't there because they were afraid. Understandably, I mean, their leader had just been murdered, and they didn't want the same to happen to them. Don't the Scriptures tell us that they went behind locked doors after Jesus was arrested? So, yes, maybe they were afraid and didn't want to be there, but that's the men. <laughs> What about the women? The women didn't seem so afraid. They actually went there. They actually publicly went to the tomb carrying spices. So they got past their fears. No, fear isn't the reason nobody was there. The reason no one was there at the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ after he defeated death, the reason Peter wasn't there the reason John wasn't there, the reason James wasn't there, the reason Jesus' mother Mary wasn't there, 
The reason no one was there was because, very sadly, no one actually believed he would rise from the dead. They didn't believe it. No one. Otherwise, they would have been there no matter what the cost. And if you say, well, I'm not sure that's right. Well, I can show you it's right from the Scriptures. From Mark chapter 16, verses 9 to 11. After Jesus did rise from the dead, what did they say? They didn't say, oh yeah, we knew that was going to happen. Oh, we meant to be there, but we got delayed. (laughs) We overslapped. It was raining. You know, look what they said. Mark 16, verse 9. Now, after Jesus had risen early on the first day of the week, he first appeared to Mary Magdalene, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and reported to those who had been with him while they were mourning and weeping. And when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they refused to believe it. Wow. The reason no one was there is because they didn't believe it was going to happen. You say, yeah, but you mentioned the women. Didn't they believe it? Because they did go to the tomb. They were there after the resurrection. Yeah, well, let's look at that text. Luke chapter 24, verse 1. Luke 24, 1, but on the first day of the week, we call that Sunday at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. Spices. Not balloons. (laughs) They came to anoint a decaying, rotting, putrefying, stinking corpse. They didn't think the resurrection was going to happen. Verse 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And it happened that while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men, we know them as angels, suddenly stood near them in dazzling apparel. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? It wasn't until the angels showed up that the women remembered like, oh yeah, there was something about resurrection. (laughs) This was supposed to be a big day. (laughs) Verse 6. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember. Remember. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. Don't you remember? He said this was all going to happen. A little gentle rebuke. Verse 7, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and the third day rise again. He told you this was going to happen. (laughs) And then they go, duh. (laughs) Then they remembered his words. I picture it this way. Women are carrying the spices to anoint the body. They see the angels. The angels start talking. All of a sudden, they're taking the spices and very... Carefully putting them behind their back. <laughs> kind of looking at the ground. Kind of sheepishly. Like, don't you remember? Spices? What spices? <laughs> there wasn't a woman, a man, a boy, or a girl 
who really believed it was going to happen. Well, the women were finally convinced. And as I mentioned at the sunrise service, we men, well, it takes more to get us men to be convinced over spiritual things. The women remembered his words, verse 8 and then verse 9, returned from the tomb and reported all these things to 11 and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James, also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. And these words appeared to them as nonsense. They would not believe them. The proclamation that Jesus has kept his promise, that Jesus has defeated death, he's died for our sins, he's risen from the grave, he's glorious, he's triumphant. And the men go, that's a bunch of poppycock. That's nonsense. Who could believe something like that? It's absolutely unbelievable. I've never personally resurrected from the dead, though I guess I've sort of come close a couple times. (laughs) But one thing I do know, you can't partially be raised from the dead. You can't give it a good college try. You can't say... I ah, almost made it. You just should have seen it. I wish you could have been there. I mean, either a race from the dead or you're not. Either come alive or you don't come alive. And with Easter, you either believe it or you don't. You don't partially believe it. You don't say, well, I believe in the, in the marshmallow peeps. <laughs> The chocolate bunnies and the Easter eggs, it's just the Jesus part I have problems with. Well, then you don't believe. You can't just partially believe in Easter any more than Jesus could just partially be raised from the dead. You're either all in or you're all out. There's no middle ground. Jesus either rose on Easter or he didn't. And you either believe it or you don't. And everyone starts out not believing in Easter. We have that in common. Peter didn't believe in it. James didn't believe in it. John didn't believe in it. Mary didn't believe in it. I didn't believe in it. And you didn't believe in it. But at some point, something has to happen. And we have to make a decision. And that decision will determine our eternal destiny. Whether our sins are erased forever and we are granted eternal life and we have to decide. And we either go, this is utter nonsense or we say, it's unbelievable, but I believe it. At some point, the miracle of Easter has to become more than just an historical event in your life. It has to become personal. It has to be more than the miracle of Jesus It has to be the miracle of Perry, the miracle of you, whatever your name is. The story of Easter can't just be that Jesus forgives sins. It has to be that he has forgiven your sin. It has to be personal. When I was a boy, my parents were cultural Christians. My dad raised Greek Orthodox. My mother raised in the Lutheran church. They had a lot of religion, a lot of tradition. They celebrated Easter. But it hadn't become real to them. 
They went from church to church in the military, different chapels and things. And I'd come home with Sunday school lessons. And at this one particular church, my mom said, well, this is odd. None of the Sunday school lessons ever talk about the miracles of Jesus. And they said, well, let's just see what happens at Easter, what the Sunday school lesson says. Certainly they'll talk about that. And so I came home from Sunday school after Easter and showed my parents a Sunday school curriculum we had. And curriculum said something like, and Easter is the almost miraculous event of Jesus coming out of the tomb. Almost miraculous? I mean, it either is or it isn't. He either did or he didn't. My parents left that church. They found a church that taught the true message of Easter. And the whole family got wonderfully born again. We had celebrated Easter, but we hadn't celebrated Jesus Christ. Have you? The reason Peter, James, John, Mary, disciples, you, me, have trouble believing in Easter is quite frankly, it's unbelievable. My favorite hymn, Amazing Love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? That's unbelievable. Not in the sense that we shouldn't put our faith in it, but it's incredible. It's like, how can we imagine this? Who could come up with this? Only God. We need to believe in the unbelievable. That our God, Jesus Christ, would die for you and die for me and not stay dead. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. I'd like to ask you to bow your heads with me. I want to make it personal, so I'd like to ask you to still listen. You have a tradition. You're here. You believe something about Easter. You've sung it. But have you made it personal? Whether you're watching online, listening through a podcast, in the room, on Lanai, wherever you might be. I urge you, if you never have, place your faith in Jesus Christ. Say something like, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe you rose from the grave and conquered death. I believe that you are offering me eternal life, and I accept it, Lord. I humbly accept your gift. I ask you to be part of my life, come into my life, to lead my life. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. We worship you. In your resurrected name, amen.